Well, I think the fact of the matter is leglessness is an advanced evolutionary state to which we're all headed. Welcome back. This is episode 59 of Herpetological Highlights. I'm Ben Marshall and co-hosting as always is Tom Major. And we have a slightly different format of episode for people uh, this this fortnight. What can people be expecting? Well, they can be expecting some good news stories about species which were thought to be extinct and then reappeared for various reasons. Uh, this was an idea suggested to us on the internet by Yannicko Kelk, who suggested there'd been some herpetological rediscoveries recently, which piqued my interest. And then it turned out there was quite a list, which was then added to by Scott Iper. And yeah, we thought, take a little departure from our normal format of some papers and a newly described species and talk about a whole host of species which were thought extinct, lost to science, and then, yeah, happily rediscovered going about their business, albeit quite sneakily. Or sadly rediscovered if you hate them. Yeah. But they're back and there's not much you can... Well, actually, there's a lot you could do about them because there aren't very many left in a lot of cases. Yeah, guaranteed there's a few people But they are, are back and they're glorious. Yeah. There's going to be some people who are just like, yes, the snake's dead! And now they're like, ah! ah. <laughs> I thought... I hated that Jackson's climbing salamander. Yeah. But no, I think for the most part, people will be pleased to hear their back. And I think most of our listeners like most of the animals we talk about. I mean, you know, understandably, some people have got serious misgivings about the existence of toads. Um, <laughs> and they can't be blamed. Yeah, but it's only, it's only, you know, the correct toad in the wrong place. All toads are right toads, but some toads are in the wrong I place. I agree with you, but that's not how everyone feels. It's a very... Well, people are mad. Yeah. Absolute mad. Toads are glorious. Yeah. And I mean, what we did was we kind of like had this list and then we split the list up randomly and we each got half. Although you got more than half because one of mine was the same name twice, which is actually lucky that I got both of them because otherwise we'd have both done one of the species, which would have been daft. Hmm. That is pure luck too. This was truly random. True random. No favourite. In the truest sense of the word, all. you even used R to make it. I the did. Most... I set my seed. I did my randomization. Okay, let's stay on topic, Ben. This is re this is reproducible. <laughs> I could run that again and get the same results. That that's oh, that's a special kind of random. That's real. That's a special kind of putting too much effort into something that we could have just divvied up by hand. Mm, yes, but regardless, we now have these randomly allocated animals, and um, yeah. I got we got a nice mixture of snakes and amphibians and stuff, so I feel it was quite fairly done. It was random, so it was fair. But yeah, I only got one. <laughs> I only got one boring turtle. So yeah, happy days. <laughs> hey, I got, I got a turtle too, but my turtles are real interesting. Yeah, my turtle wasn't that great. It was okay. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, should we just should we go? Should I start with the first one and just just run with it? Tell me all about it because I like unlike okay. most things we do on this podcast. I am probably not going to know anything about what you're about to talk about. So I will have the kind of childlike wonder, which is perhaps sometimes missing from these episodes. So I'm quite looking forward to hearing about them. And I will have the deliberately evasive answers of a seasoned politician. <laughs> okay, good. At least we know. I know what to expect. <laughs> well, we're, we're starting with a golden wonder. We're starting great. 
We're starting with the Golden Wonder, the Jackson's Climbing Salamander. Um, the downside of all of these is I do have to personally work out how to say Latin names all by myself. <laughs> and that, that is truly, truly a challenge. <laughs> so this one's Bolito Glossa, Jackson I. Um, and they were lost all the way back in 1975. Oh, wow. Depths of time. But it's okay, because they're back. Found relatively recently in 2017. But just to really prove the point, there wasn't actually a, a proper expedition to try and find them in 2014, but they didn't find anything. Nothing at all. Um, what do you want to know? You want to know where they're well, from? Well, I want to know which yeah. Jackson are they named after. Was it Michael Jackson? Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, not, I don't think so. I don't know. I feel like this this particular lizard lizard. Oh my god! This particular um, whatever it is, yeah, slime, slime guy. Yeah, has um, it's an amphibian. It's a salamander. I feel like we've actually had a word about this before on the podcast. It rings a bell. Are you sure it wasn't just me raving about how awesome climbing salamanders were? Oh no, no, it's probably the salamander climbing episode yeah. about them climbing up, up leaves and yeah. stuff. Yeah, maybe I think it we was. did touch on this guy. Anyway, they're from Guatemala, the uh, in the Fica San Isidro Amphibian Reserve, which was perfect. That's where they should be in the Amphibian Reserve. Should have started by looking there, guys. Why is there a specifically Amphibian Reserve? That's great. I've never heard of one before, but it's, it's tell you what, it's a step in the right direction, Hell isn't yeah. it? Hell yeah. But being Guatemala, it's almost definitely like a, a Kittred... Um, Refugia sort of effort, I would, I would bet, probably facilitated. Well, you know, I've that. always said it's better to have four species than fourteen. <laughs> four <laughs> four gets, really good ones confused. and fourteen mediocre yeah. ones. <laughs> Can't keep Just track of all these species. Two thirds of them and then get on with it. No, that's not funny. Sorry. No, no, that's it's, it's too, too real. real. Um. So, so what do we want to know? It's only the third time people have ever seen them. Um, so there were two collected back in 75, but there's only one specimen that remains because when they were brought back to Berkeley University or was it University of California, Berkeley, I guess, um, they took some photos, but then the female either escaped or somebody just stole it. So there's only really one specimen that remains. And, uh, that was, that was that for all those years until they found another one, which they didn't actually, um... They didn't take and and speci- specify. What's the word for turning it into a specimen? Um, Pickle. Yeah. So they're you know they're still out there. They're still out there, and they're beautiful. They're like what six centimeters long, bright golden yellow, bright as you like, and all the way down their back is this chocolate brown stripe, quite wide, really striking, and they've got hilarious little little feet that are like round suckers for their climbing. Got little sucker feet. Oh, wow. Beautiful. I just Googled one. I think Beautiful. now would be a good time for me to Google them, as you're speaking about them. And, uh, wow, they are amazing, aren't they? They are the same colours as those uh, Costa Rican... Um... Yes, um, Atelopis. Oh, no, the frogs, yes, but also the, uh, the sea snakes, the uh, yellow sea snakes. Oh. Remember those? Or or bof, or or bofriacus. Or yeah. Mm, yeah. Or or bananas. Bananas. Well, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a banana quite that striking. It's the kind of coloration that would make you think twice, isn't it, about eating them? 
Oh, yeah. And these guys are too cute to eat anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean... So if you if you pull their tail, it comes off too. So you don't even have to... You don't have to do them in to have a little snack. You can just nip the tail off and have a little nibble on that. Right on. Cool. Well, I like them. And I'm happy they're back. <laughs> they, they were never gone. They were never gone. But still, it's yeah. nice they're still around. They're beautiful. Cool. <clears throat> well, should we move... I mean, that's that's pretty much all I have. I mean, we should probably keep these pretty short because we've got quite a few to go yeah. through. And like five minutes a pop would take us to an hour. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's let's crack on then. Well, my first one is Tiliqua adelaidensis, otherwise known as the Adelaide Pygmy Blue Tongue Skink, which I have to tell you doesn't actually have a blue tongue as far as I can see. I'm ready to be corrected on this, but this is outrageous. every photo I've seen, it has a pink tongue. Like, you know, that's, to me, that's pretty gross inaccuracy. Perhaps, I mean, maybe it just found itself in amongst the blue tongue skinks and the name stuck. But certainly the pictures I've seen, it's it's pink. Um, and it's basically a tiny mini version of the blue tongue skink that everyone's familiar with. Um, they only get to be sort of around 10 centimetres long. And... Uh, it was thought to be extinct and hadn't, be, hadn't been seen since the early 1960s, right? So 30 years go by. And in 1992, an adult male was discovered in the stomach contents of a brown snake. So a herpetologist <laughs> cut open a brown snake Brilliant. and was like, what's in here? And sure enough, it was a pygmy blue tongue oh, skink. it's a thought to be extinct. Yeah, it? that's not extinct. Or maybe, it, I mean, it, at that point, it still could be extinct. If I, yeah, I mean, that could have been the yeah. last one found inside but a snake. you're probably thinking half the chances of that are quite slim. It's probably still around. And this was in Burra, which is 100 kilometres north of Adelaide in South Australia, which is probably where they get the name Adelaide Pygmy Blue Tongue Skink. At least that bit's accurate. Uh, yeah, 10 centimetres long <laughs> as an adult. And now they're actually, you know, they've been studied a little bit more. There's thought to be around 5,000 wild individuals which is pretty good and they're quite an interesting little species mm. because they live in disused spider burrows so they don't really they can't really survive if there aren't these specific spider burrows and they like vertical burrows rather than horizontal burrows so you know the more vertical the burrow the better and yes i've, I've pulled up i've pulled up pictures of them and there is one looking very cheekily out of mm. a like what looks like a piece of wood or bamboo that's been hollowed out and put straight in the ground and he's putting yes. his little face so out. Looks adorable. Those are the babies that have been bred as part of the breeding project which is in South Australia's Monato Zoo. So those are actually babies ah. and they've put those artificial little pipes in there and yeah, they love them. They make burrows out of them. And Precious. Yeah, this species, because they're so reliant on finding good spider burrows, they can't dig their own because they're chronically lazy and so if there aren't good spider burrows they won't be able to critical design yeah they won't be able to extend into different areas but what has been shown is that if conservationists go and lovingly dig the perfect size burrow the ideal width is like the exact width of, width of their head and if they dig loads of burrows like this the skinks will move in these adelaide micro blue tongue skinks and they'll actually fare better in man-made um burrows and they will in spider burrows so it is actually possible to construct the perfect accommodation for these lizards which is quite a positive <laughs> sign for their conservation provided you can get a few willing volunteers to go and dig some holes even if something happens to the spiders we can still have this awesome little species um 
what else is there about them? Oh yeah, because they live in burrows, they're always, what they do is they sit in their burrow and they kind of watch. And if they see an insect, they'll jet out, grab the insect, run back. And they'll also bask at the entrance to their burrow. And if they hear anything coming, like a bird or a bigger lizard, they'll run back into the burrow. And uh, yeah, they also enjoy dining on the fruits of select flowers. Uh, no, sorry, the flowers of fruiting plants, um, which uh. are deliciously seasonal. And obviously, you know, a rare treat for these little lizards. <laughs> what a... What a lovely little life yeah. for a lizard, only, living in a tiny burrow, the only, eating flowers. Yeah. The only dark side to it is that in the mating season, the males will come along to the female's burrow, anchor their tail around a clump of grass, grab her by the face, and forcibly extricate her from her burrow in order to mate with her. So it's not uh, all well, rosy. There, ha- there had to be a dark side. Yeah. That's nature. That's nature. <laughs> That's nature. Mm. No animal lives yeah. in... No animal lives in harmony. harmony. Exactly. So, but there's a few cool papers. Actually, they've actually been really well studied since their um, rediscovery in 1992. There's papers by Milne, Bull and Hutchinson. They're the team that uh, go after these skinks. So I've put a couple of papers in the notes if you want to learn more. Sweet. Pygmy blue tongue skink. Hmm. So that that was gone for 30 years. How long was yours gone for? first one did you say um what did i say 75 till 2017 okay. so so doing the quick maths what's that uh 42 so yours was longer so the longest so far is 42 years i think we should have a little contest along those lines oh okay yeah. okay anyway over to you ah so species two it's a turtle the palawan forest turtle and it has a name which is Beyond my comprehension. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with Seben rockiella latensis. Because <laughs> it was originally described because it existed on a different island of Latena, I think it was. Ah. Oh dear. Laten something. What's the common name? Relating to the, the name. Palawan forest turtle. The, right. Because they're on Palawan. And Palawan is in the Philippines. Palawan is the very, very slim, skinny island on the west side of the Philippines. If you you know where Manila is in the north of the Philippines, uh, I I roughly? can conjure, conjure a vague image. So you got the Philippines series of islands. There's a bigger island near the top, slap bang in the middle of that's Manila. Down to the southwest is Borneo, yeah, Indonesian Borneo and whatnot. If you were to draw a line from Borneo to Manila, Manila to Borneo you'd pretty much be drawing a line that traces where um, Palawan is. And it's a very long, slim island there. And that's where these little guys are found. And they are little. They're only 35 centimetres in carapace length. Little little forest turtles. And even 35 centimetres. Well, actually, 35 centimetres. I was going to say, like, that's a pretty big turtle. It's a big enough turtle. That's as big as they get. You wouldn't get. want it in your pocket. That's as big as they get. Okay. Yeah. And how long ago was this one lost and when was it rediscovered? Was it truly lost? Or well, was it I, just... I'm, not in, I'm not entirely sure when it was lost lost. It was described in the 1920s and it was refound in 1988. Okay. So what's that? 68 years. Mm. Um, but then it seems to have maybe, I don't know, I was, I was a little unclear on the sort of timeline because then there's all this stuff in 2004 when it was like properly refound. Mm. So it seems to be a little bit sort of hit and miss whether you can find these Palawan forest turtles or not. But the rediscovery in 2004 was 
a little bit of a mixed blessing. Oh? Because it caused a, like, massive rush in the trade to get a hold of these turtles. People freaking loved them. Oh. You know, these nice little turtles. they got a nice, like, white ring around the hair. they got a nice sort of, you know, they're pretty classic turtley sort of shape and, and coloration. There's not really much to write home about, apart from really beautiful scooped patterning. Or not patterning, but the sort of arrangement of the scoots are really, really nice. Mm, they are. They're very neat, aren't um, they? It looks like yeah, a very tidy. driveway. Uh, maybe. To me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to fight Oh, that. Jesus. There's a whole picture. There's a picture of like 4,000 of them in a truck. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's it. That's that's what oh. the whole whole thing was leading to. 2015 confiscation of over 4,000 turtles all came from a single warehouse. You know, these these were legally protected turtles all getting smuggled out for trade, medicine, food, you name it. Yeah, that's the biggest threat to these little guys. Less so uh, habitat destruction or anything like that. It is just straight up people taking turtles for private keeping and things like that. And their but, and their supposed medicinal benefits. So, yeah, what happened to those turtles that got seized? Because what do you do when you find three thousand nine hundred turtles, dude? I I have no idea. I have no idea what happens to a lot of these seized things. Sometimes they get resold, and then the funds go back into conservation efforts. Because a lot of the time, you can't return these animals to the wild because you have no idea where they came from. Yeah. I presume a good chunk of these ones actually got passed on. So there's a foundation called the Catala Foundation. A um, bunch of international support supporting those guys. And they've now got a protected area of what 7.6 kilometers square to keep these turtles safe. Oh. And I presume some of them went there. Some of them might have gone into their sort of cap- pseudo-captive breeding um, initiatives. Although it's important to point out, it isn't actually captive breeding. In 2018, they had the first like captive bred individual, but it's not really captive bred because wild individuals produced the egg. Oh yeah, captive hatched. Captive hatched, yeah. And the, the they were really emphasising that point because they don't want people to be like, oh yeah, we can captive breed them, it's fine, and let loose on the trade again because they are very sensitive to being being kept and these you know these guys where they are are not succeeding in captive breeding them mm. it sounds like so but anyway the, there is a protected area the turtles are protected by philippine law the double uh, the cool thing with that protected area is it's also doubling up to protect the palawan pangolin as well oh, that's handy so it's this this turtle and pangolin protect them both in one go with one protected area and hopefully hopefully these two super trafficked animals can uh, can carry on being, you know, friends and living in the same forest. But if you are a wildlife trafficker and you want to have a good day out, bloody hell, that's where you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, if you don't get... If, if you can pull it off. Yeah, high risk, high reward. Now, nah, I shouldn't make jokes about that. I've just had a little look and apparently a thousand of those got released back into the wild. Oh, flipping heck, that was great. <laughs> just zing them back out there. Um well, I suppose, I mean, with those sorts of numbers, I mean, you've got to hope that, you know, even if 10% make it, that's still a decent boost to the population. Actually, that, that, so their population estimates before that confiscation were like 6,000. So the confiscation was also a sort of mixed blessing because they were like, oh, God, we've you know, we found some people trying to smuggle out 4,000 turtles. But the bright side is 
there's probably more than we were predicting to begin with, because there's no way you can take 4,000 turtles out of a population of 6,000 and still, like, estimate that there's 6,000. Because that must have been going on while they were doing their estimates. So. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, likely critically endangered, I think they were saying, or certainly in pretty serious trouble if protection is not uh, kept up. Apparently it's a delicacy in China and goes under the name Bacoco. Hmm. International markets causing trouble. Yeah. And uh, Should just the website I found this paper on, it's got like a little thing where you can choose how a article makes you feel when you read it. This one it inspired 0% of people. It made 3% of people happy. <laughs> Maybe because they were seized. That's nice. But 94% of people yes. were made angry. 3% three, 3 okay. amused. <laughs> people are just anarchists. <laughs> Some people just want to see Absolute themselves burn. Uh, I'm uh, amused by this. <laughs> Imagine that. Sitting there reading a little article about turtles being trafficked with your newspaper, your cup of tea. Maybe you've got, Just have got a your slippers trouble. on. <laughs> Suddenly, this amuses me. Okay. <laughs> Finally, those turtles got what they deserve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a wry <laughs> smile. <sighs> Some people are scum. Okay. Oh. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's, let's move Good on. One, what do you got mate. for me? Enjoyed that. Fascinating. Um, Bornean Rainbow Toad and Sonia Latidisca, which I think sounds a little bit like Latidisco, which would well describe their colours, but it's Latidisca. Um, You're going to have to give me some spelling here because a rainbow toad, if I'm not seeing pictures of a rainbow toad in the next five minutes, I'm, I'm walking out. It's pretty rainbowy. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, there's actually only really one picture of it that I could find anywhere uh, through my minimal effort of looking for pictures for them i was quite satisfied when i saw the picture i did see but basically it looks like a warty toad normal sort of toad they're small they're only uh five centimeters long with females a little bit bigger than males but they're covered in tiny warts and they've got very long spindly legs and big hands they're beautiful they are they are yeah they are holy smokes um and this one was actually unseen for 87 years which is a long time Whoa. Yeah, so basically Conservation International and the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Amphibian Specialist Group, what? <laughs> included the species as one of its most ten ten most wanted amphibians. So basically there's this conservation a group of conservation people and they were had like a most wanted list of amphibians that they wanted to see to make sure they were still kicking. And yeah, this was in two thousand and ten. There was this global campaign to find extinct species. And as far as I know, this was the first one they actually managed to find. And there was a guy called Professor Indranil Das from the University of Malaysia, Sarawak, who uh, led this expedition into um, into um, Sarawak, Western Sarawak, Malaysian Borneo. Um, and yeah, it was described. It was originally described in 1966. But it was discovered in the early 1900s. And then, yeah, it hadn't been seen uh, for like, yeah, 87 years. And yeah, they went out and they managed to find a couple of them just kicking around. I think they were sort of like in log hollows. Um, but yeah, there's been no papers published about it since it was rediscovered. Its ecology is entirely a mystery. And uh, 
it's endangered. We can only assume that it's an incredibly boring species. It looks like fun, though, doesn't it? It looks like it has a good time. <laughs> it looks incredible. The photo of I reckon it, it's probably awesome. Yeah, it's all these little warts, but then it's got a kind of lattice work of green stripes with some nice purpley blotches, yellow flanks. Um, yeah, I mean, you can see why they called it the rainbow toad, Bornean rainbow toad. Um, one of the reasons it's endangered is because people keep putting golf courses on Borneo. Oh, for Pete's you sake. To, you don't need golf courses. You need rainbow toads. If you're going to Borneo to play golf, you are a dick. I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, there's so much more to Borneo than golf. And golf courses aren't nature. That's just something a lot of people don't realise, which is important. Anyway, that's me off my high horse with regards to golf, which is one of the worst sports going. Not only is it chronically dull, <laughs> it also savagely destroys habitat. It's incredibly water intensive. Um, yeah, it's just, it's the pits. Um, I can't imagine water's too much of a concern for Bornean golf courses, though. Yeah, maybe not. Pesticides and things. Yeah. Probably more so. Yeah, yeah. And the lack of rainbow toads. There's no rainbow toads on the golf course. But yeah, they're back. And honestly, I couldn't really find much information on this one. There was a Nat Geo article about it, uh, which I've kind of like neatly summarized there. Um, but yeah, it was nice because I think people weren't necessarily expecting for it to be still around. And it was. Um, and I don't think it's inside of protected areas, which isn't great. But um, at least it's still mm, persisting. To be expected. Absolutely beautiful frog. Toad. Froggy it's toad. a froggy toad, that one, isn't it? It's a very frog-like looking toad. Yeah. yeah. It's... But the critical giveaway are the toad eyes. Mm, what, with the sideways horizontal pupils? Yeah, and that colour. Mm, yeah. That goldeny red. Classic toad. Mm. Yeah, it is... What's its uh, phylogeny? It is a buffonid. Okay, yeah, right on good just got to double check but it is a real toad toad in the truest sense oh there's another photo of it on the um amphibia web page where it's not quite as disco-y but it's still nice oh there's loads of pictures of it oh wow okay it's spectacular cool well yeah i'm happy with that unseen for 87 years so i think that is actually Oof, that's probably gonna take holding it. the lead that's a hell of a holding the lead yeah. i don't want to say too soon whether or not it's gonna take it no spoilers but uh yeah, over to you, mate. Well, a rainbow toad is a really tough act to follow. Mm. But but the Albaniada, or Bitters albanica, oh, might just do it. Missing for only a decade, until 2017. But since its description in 1937, only 12 had ever been seen. So it's still a big deal finding this little guy. Um, 2017, team went out. They found five in total. Unfortunately, one was squished on a road. Um, but a beautiful little snake found in the eastern Cape of South Africa. Um, I don't how I don't even have how big they are. That is truly a problem. <laughs> the Albany adder. It's a size. The Albany it's adder. a size. We know that much. It's small, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I always think adders would be small. Let me, uh... Oh, dwarf snakes that grow, rarely grow more than 40 centimetres long. There you go. Oh, you tracked it down for me. Awesome. 40 centimetres. Yeah, and super, super cute. They're like a mini bitters. 
They got that lovely sort of, um, I wouldn't say mottled pattern, but like sort of stripes that are split up into blotches. And they got nice cresting over the eyes, like decent sized eyebrows. Um, really beautiful little snakes. Very, very uh, limited range. Threatened, of course, by habitat loss in this case. But there are also fears that maybe they'll be scooped up into the tr- into the trade. It's a very nice, cute little snake. So we've got this sort of dual threat thing going on. But the bright side is people are actively working to protect them. Um, basically, the way the way they're tackling it is habitat buy up. So just buying as much area as they can. Um, so far, I think it's hitting around four kilometers squared. So not a crazy amount, but enough to keep these little snakes you know, still kicking for the moment. And what's also cool about it is like the Palawan pangolin doubling up with the Palawan forest turtle, these guys can double up with the conservation of cranes, bustards and secretary birds. Mate, you don't want to to team it up with secretary birds. They'll kick them to death. (laughs) No, too small. They're too, you know, dodge out of the way. Secretary birds are nature's most spiteful animal. Yeah, though they only smash big moving snakes that they can spot with their beady bird eyes. Maybe. Yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, <laughs> I don't... Hey, it's all part of a balanced ecosystem, man. You need you need the snakes to have the secretary birds. And I think you'll probably find that people are more keen to protect the birds. And if the snakes can just sort of sliver alongside into the protected areas and keep themselves safe, I think everybody will be the happier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> in principle, it sounds harmonious, but the the stark reality is that secretary birds have no place on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> that is an outrageous statement. Yeah, I know. I just got scarred because I went to that bird sanctuary in um, oh, what's that town down south? It's on the coast. Um, I went there for a school trip in year six. Brighton. Nah, it's like <clears throat> Weymouth. Weymouth? You saw a secretary Well, they've got Weymouth? the Hawk Conservancy somewhere near there, um, where there's like... Oh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say near there, but yeah, thereabouts. Within, within driving guess. distance Same for county. a school trip, um, which was... Maybe if you were on the way there, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> well, regardless, it happened. And uh, they did a demonstration where they had a rubber snake and it was attached to a string. And then they pulled it through the grass... And then the secretary bird just went ballistic and started stamping on it. It was horrible. I was upset. Oh, yeah. Hawk, Hawk Conservancy near Andover, supposedly. Mm. That's nowhere near Weymouth. Well, Where were you coming from? You were coming from London, yeah. were I? Ah, uh, yeah. It's on the way. Yeah. Maybe it was on the way back that we stopped there. Yeah, that would make sense. There's a couple on the way back. Yeah. It was definitely the Hawk Conservancy, though. But yeah, I might have told that story on here before. Oh, it's even got even even the even the pit. What are those? Are those secretary birds? We got pictures. Of, no, they're just some weird crane. Oh, there's a secretary bird. Uh there's the culprit, the one that scarred yeah, you. Yeah, I don't like them, but I'm happy to hear. Oh, I think oh, they're they're wonderful. Know, Joe, oh, look, there it is, smashing the snake. That'll be it. Yeah. <laughs> wow, they're Epic. rough, mate. They're not good birds, but they're you know I suppose <laughs> they have a place. Yada yada yada. Um, and you know you don't want too many Albany adders slithering about it would get to be too much it would get to be too much but the good news is they're there people are putting in the effort to protect them along with some other species so I mean at the end of the day protecting more species with one protected area is going to boost the chance of that protected area staying protected yeah so it is, it is good yeah 
Yeah. And and they're beautiful. They're little little chubby viper boys. They are nice. Yeah, they are really pretty. That's pretty much all I got. So the Albany Adder. Okay. Well, from one venomous snake that's been the victim of roadkill to another, uh, I've. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Please tell me it wasn't rediscovered dead on the road. No, not quite. First. Well, actually, okay. yes. Really. Okay. So the species is the inland taipan, Oxyuranus micro lepidotus and this is a snake which inhabits the black soil plains in the semi-arid regions where queensland and south australian borders converge so we're in kind of the broad broad south central australia and uh this snake is famous because it's actually considered to be the most dangerously venomous snake to humans uh it kills mice more quickly than any other snake and it really just wrecks them. And what are people if we're not just really massive naked mice? That, well, this is it. And slightly less sociable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's considered very dangerously venomous. It's a mammal eater in the wild, which is why its venom is so savagely damaging to us. Some neurotoxins, some hemotoxins. Basically, yeah, you just die if it bites you. Not always, but usually. Um, and... Yeah, it's been known to Aboriginal people for 60,000 years, right? So that's important to know. It's new to science, not are you, new to are you people. Gonna, are you going to be counting in the in the 60,000 years into your nah. competition for, <laughs> sort of, for the lost and found again? No, no, no. But it was basically, it was formally described in 1879. It was originally described as Dyminia microlepidota, which means the small-scaled brown snake, which is pretty accurate description. Um, but after that first description in 1879, nearly a hundred years went by before any scientists actually saw one. Although over that period, the taxonomy of the animal did change a few times. Um, but we won't get into that because, you know, whatever. Uh, it's suffice to say it's now called Oxyuranus microlepidotus. But, so we've got a snake that was described in 1879 and then nearly a hundred years go by. Well nearly 90 years and it's the swinging 60s 1967 there's a tour guide who's showing people around far southwest queensland people on a little trip tour guide showing them around the very worst happens worst case scenario this tour guide receives a very nasty bite from a snake which was nearly fatal luckily they were saved by second episode in a row these people have come up these heroes the royal flying doctors who presumably once again arrived in their flying machine and rescued this individual took them to safety saved their life but they didn't know what it was that had bitten them uh, it was assumed to be a brown snake um which is fair enough they're a venomous snake that bites people and makes them get really really ill um so that was kind of a bit of a mystery for about five years and then in 1972 the plot thickened because a grazier so a cattle rancher sent a severed head in the post to herpetologists Jeanette Kovakovich and Charles Tanner. Uh, Jeanette Kovakovich was working for the Queensland Museum. And... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you sent... You, you, somebody sent herpetologists a severed head. Yeah, so this grazier who goes by the name of... Jimmy Snake Butcher. Her, Herb Rahig. Um, okay. Yeah, cut the head off, sent it, knew enough to say, what the hell's this snake? Sent it to these herpetologists. Yeah, that's, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, and so then they were like, well, well, what is that actually? Fair, 
fair question. Let's go to the Channel Country in southwest Queensland and check it out. And, you know, these are proper herpetologists. They know what they're doing. But even Jeanette Kovakovich herself described them as being very lucky. They basically rocked up to the habitat in spring when these snakes are most likely to be above ground and not just hanging around in soil cracks where they love to hunt. If you remember hmm. an episode or two ago, we had that discussion from Scott Iper about how, despite the fact they're fossorial, they're extremely venomous. Um, and anyway, yes, they were road cruising about four o'clock one day in the afternoon, and they happened across a freshly run over specimen, which obviously having gone to a place to try and rediscover a species, even finding one freshly run over on the road was... One that had been prompted by receiving a severed head in the mail. <laughs> yeah. This is this is a grim story for these herpetologists. It, this is not pleasant no, work. No, yeah, no. But they were still happy to find that one because they were like, oh, wow, we've actually proven, you know, it's still here, it's still going. But then they went on over the next couple of days to manage to find 13 live specimens with the help of Herb Rahig, the famous snake beheader. Uh, so, you know, Herb came into his own later <laughs> on. I'm assuming Herb is a man's name. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, since that time, those fateful days in 1972... Loads of papers have ensued about this in Lantaipan. It's now extremely famous, sometimes known as the fierce snake because of how fierce the venom is. You know, it's the most relevantly venomous snake in the world. So it's pretty famous. And uh, yeah, they formally gave it the name Oxyrhanus microlepidotus. And so, so what, what does that name mean? Do you, have, do you have anything on that? I think it means small scales. Okay, st- still small scales, but what was more more the genus was what I was wondering. Oxyranus, don't know. Oxy, sharp needle-like arch. Ah, oxyranus, pointy. First to the needle-like anterior arch of the palate. Shielded hmm. pointy tail. Oh no, shielded scutellatus. Okay, so that's the coastal taipan. Oxyranus seems to yeah, suggest so pointy tail. Well, I've got it as genus name is from the Greek oxus which is sharp, and then the second bit being arch, refers to the needle-like anterior process on the arch of the palate. Wow, okay. Yeah, and microlepidotus means small-scale. See, this website I've got says oxyuranus means pointy-tailed. Hmm, well... Well... Pointy pointy bit, definitely happy. The the sort of anterior bit is either going to anterior tail or anterior relating to mouth. So I could see how there's sort of separation there. Um, with people saying one thing and another thing, how pointy are their tails? Because I'm not going to be able to judge whether their mouths are pointy. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure. Let's have a let's have a quick Google of uh, it's, it's a relatively pointed tail, I suppose. Would you say that's any more pointed than any other snake's tail, though? Well, it depends on the snake. If it was Cylindrophus rufus, I would say that's considerably pointy. Yeah, they're sausage boys. Right. I don't know. I think that's... It's not not pointy. I mean, it's just point... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's slightly pointy. Maybe they use it to stab into cracks to hold onto the cracks and anchor themselves when they're killing their mammalian prey. Oh, that would be That would make more sense. They are beautiful snakes. They are, and apparently they change colour through the seasons, so they'll be light in the winter... Light... Mm, Classical lapids. Yeah, light in the summer, dark in the winter. Yeah, the ones with the really dark heads and then paler bodies are absolutely stunning. And they're big snakes. They get to like six feet long. Mostly brown. Gorgeous. Sort of like mottled shading. Dark head. 
So yeah, basically, close to 100 years, a rodent eating two metre long a lapid went largely unknown before a plucky grazier decided to sever a head and put it in the post. And now here we are talking about them. Loads of toxicology research, interesting stuff on their ecology and how the boom and bust cycles of plague rats influence the weight of these snakes. If the plague rats have a good year, you find loads and loads of fat inland taipans. If they have a bad year, you find loads of starving inland taipans. See, there you go. Snakes doing their part. Keeping down plague rats. Plague rats? Really? Yeah, I think they're called plague rats because of their habit of booming and busting. So some years they're just overrunning everything and other years you can't find them. Oh, okay. But they are separate from yeah, like regular rats, are they? Wasn't it black rats that were thought to have spread the plague? But isn't there a good chance that wasn't actually the case now? Didn't, there recent, didn't it recently come out that you can catch plague by sneezing on people? Well, there's different strains. Yeah, there's pneumonic plague, bubonic plague, and Shmoo-bobbit. I think a third one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, sh- sh- bubonic. <laughs> <laughs> Sneeze bonic. Plague rat species. So, what is this plague rat? Is it not just it's called Rattus villosissimus? Oh, look at them! Oh, they're nice. The long-haired rat. Yeah, no one calls them long-haired rats. Oh, that's good. That's okay. Yeah, that was awesome. Cool. Do you want to hear about an armoured frog? Yeah. Ah, so here is the story of Litoria Lorica, the armoured mist frog. Oh, wow. Paint me a picture, Benjamin. Well, described in 1976, but disappeared in 1991. The year I... Reappeared in 2008. That's the year I appeared. Are you an armoured mist frog? (laughs) Yeah. I am the spiritual embodiment of all armoured mist frogs. I have come to fill the gap in their absence. But as soon as you touch one, it's like antimatter and matter. You'd, you'd cease to exist. Whoa. Is it like the very last scene of uh, Time Bandits, where yes. piece of evil's in the microwave? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. don't touch it. It's pure evil. What do they do? They touch it. That's... Well, I mean, what are you going to not do? You, you're not going to not touch uh, it. I always want to see stuff with my hands, even if it's pure evil, that will bring about my certain destruction. Right. Well, you better hope you never find an armoured mist frog then. <laughs> Jesus. But it's all right. They're, only, they're, they're quite little, so you're probably going to miss oh, them. Oh, really? Yeah, females are only 32 millimetres, males only 29. So, well, it's, they, can get up to, they can get up to 37, the females. So, they can get to frog size. I've got a ruler here. 2.9 centimeters yeah yeah good lord yeah that's the sort of small male size large male size is 33 well these armored mist frogs they live in northeastern queensland between 640 and 100 meters elevation why are they called mist frogs well i suppose it's the elevation misty misty sort of actually no it might have something to do with where they live specifically microhabitat wise there's only 120 kilometers squared that they're found, supposedly. And these are sneaky frogs. They're nocturnal. They're not liking coming out in the day. And they hide under waterfalls. They're like near the base of the waterfall where the plunge pool is and all the rocky goodness is. That's where they live. What was the common name again? Armoured Mist Frog. Why are they called armoured then? Because they're tough as nails, mate. Oh, they're pretty cool. Mm. So this is sort of lovely... Tan brown colour, some sort of brown, darker brown mottling, countershaded with a pale white belly. They've got sort of white tips on their fingers and a very cute blunt face. They look like Amazon milk frogs, but they're brown and brown instead of 
brown and white. There we go. Amazon milk frog look-alike. Enjoyed that. But yeah, they hide hide under waterfalls. Sneaky little guys. Um, what else is there? They're declining, but nobody really knows why. The habitat's still there. It's been protected since the 80s. Some people are suggesting it's feral hogs coming in and trashing the joint. But uh, this seems quite unlikely because hogs hate waterfalls and rocks. Or at least I imagine they yeah. do. I mean, imagine being a feral hog. You're going to root around in leaf litter and mud and soil and roots and logs. You're not going to root around at the bottom of a waterfall. No. So that seems relatively unlikely. Unless their behaviour upstream is having dramatic influence on the sort of sediment in the river. That seems far-fetched. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, feral hogs, are a, they're a renowned menace. And I, but I don't think that they're the cause for these guys. Some people are suggesting maybe it's a disease thing. That seems pretty plausible, pretty feasible. More research is basically needed for that because some places in Australia, frogs are holding sort of well-known chytrid-like diseases and still persisting. Some places less so. With all these sort of disease things, you've got to look at it on a species-by-species basis a lot of the time because different species interact in different ways and, you know, it all has so much complexity going on. So maybe it's disease. Um, Final sort of suggestion is maybe it's linked to climate shifting or UV exposure, something (laughs) along those lines. Climate change, that old chestnut. Yeah, I mean, who? to be honest... The list is so long that it could be anything. If you if you're ranging from feral hogs to like climate crisis stuff, that basically means it could yeah, be anything. Yeah, we don't. Or know. a culmination. <laughs> it could be empowered feral hogs from the climate that are getting stronger in the climate, smashing the frogs, and actually deciding to eat. Or them. they're getting too hot because of the climate warming, and they have to go in the little plunge so pools. So they're going into the waterfall. Yeah, they're going into the plunge pools, and they're sitting on the frogs. Mm-hmm. Trophic cascades yeah. in yeah. the waterfall cascades. Oh. I mean, who who knows? But these poor little frogs, it doesn't seem like they're doing all that great. Limited distribution, you know. They're sensitive to perturbations. And feral hogs are a pretty dramatic perturbation. Damn. Adorable, though. Now, oh, yeah. do you want to hear about a turtle from Myanmar? Not really, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'll keep it brief. No, I'm done. No, <laughs> so, What's this Myanmar turtle you this got? This is called the Arakan forest turtle. So you had the Palawan forest turtle? I've got yep. the Arakan forest turtle. I'd hate to see these two in a ring. Uh, this is... <laughs> How big are these ones? Well, they can weigh over a kilogram. Ooh, so over beef. 30 centimetres. Basically, yeah. Oh, okay. 35 for the biggest Palawan. Okay. Mm. We've got a fight. Yeah. And this one is called Hyosemis depressor. Um, native to the Arakan Hills of Western Myanmar. And it was actually unseen since 1908. And then turned up in a food market in China in oh, 1994. Sake. Yeah. So 86 years oh. they were gone. And then a bunch of shells and a live specimen. What are you eating there? Oh, I'm eating a, a lost, long lost species. But you know, turtles are turtles, aren't they? When you're eating them. Doesn't really matter. Just... Pop them in your soup. And uh, as it turned out, <laughs> scientists oh, heard about these ones in food markets, which prompted a search. And in two expeditions, first of which was in 2003. Expeditions to the food expeditions. market. Expeditions. <laughs> or expeditions yeah. to the wild. No, these were expeditions to the wild. 
So there was a, I think there was okay. one expedition before this, but they only found one, whatever, boring. The main expeditions were in 2003 and 2009, and seven turtles were found in southwestern Myanmar. And yeah, like I said, they're big, big things, weigh over a kilogram, and they live in these nice bamboo forests with lots of leaf litter they can root around in. But they're also tolerant of secondary forests and the edges of agricultural land, and their favourite thing to do is come out in the late afternoon and eat fallen fruits. And that's kind of how they spend their time. They allegedly also eat... That sounds ideal. Yeah, they also supposedly eat insects. Oh, I didn't see any convincing dietary data to support that fact, but I think that's essentially what the hunters had said, um, who've probably seen it. Uh, and yeah, they just look like a standard turtle, basically. Standard, bog-standard turtle. Yeah, they, they prefer, despite being a turtle, they actually like it on land. Um, and they're being bred with small success by the Turtle Conservancy in the USA. They've had a couple hatch. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they've recently discovered this new population in a elephant reserve, which is already a reserve for elephants. So they're pretty much thinking they'll be all right there because there aren't too many people around. There's As long as the elephants don't step on them. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm sure that has happened. They're, cl- they're clumsy animals. Elephants are... You imagine the footprint of an elephant is almost perfect for a turtle just to burp, squish him into the ground. I feel like an elephant would try and avoid stepping on a turtle, though, because uh, it would look like a rock and they might slip. Oh, it could be slippery. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 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 So that would probably keep them safe, hopefully stop them interacting too much. <laughs> but yeah, another turtle, which... Um, yeah, I think it's... It's of conservation concern, but they have found this population in Myanmar, which is pretty untouched so provided that human beings can uh, keep out of there it should be alright oh that's a good sign that's mm. a good sign that's all I've got on that one basically bit of a mystery well do you want to do you want to hear about a, a hilarious lizard yes so I got the uh, the retro slider aka the greater robust fine line slider aka Alan's Lerista 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 yeah I suppose that's how you say it um, Latin name, Lyrister Alan A. And this guy, um, oh, I haven't missed the size again. Oh, for goodness sake. It's the size of a legless lizard, I suppose. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. This is, this is shocking. <laughs> this is a shocking oversight. Legless lizards. How can you picture something in your mind's eye if you can't see how big legless it is? Legless lizards are kind of disgusting, not- aren't they? Oh, this one's especially disgusting because it's got no front legs. It's only got back oh, legs. Oh, no. It's all... It's all backwards. It's oh, hilarious. What's it called? Uh, Alan's? Uh, Lyrista, or the Retro Slider. Oh my god. It's weird. You know what it looks like? You know in um, The Dark Crystal? You yeah. know the sort of vulture people who are stealing the energy of the Skeksis? He looks like a Skeksi. Oh, with that face. Yeah, a little bit. Because they got this sort of different coloured nose they got on a them. Beat. They sort of got this. Yeah, but the, the rest of them is this beautiful, almost chainmail like silver and dark grey mm. and then they've got this like beak that just looks like it's been slapped on they've also got like a little sort of armoury tail nub too which is quite fun and the eye is quite heavily recessed as well which makes them look quite strange shifty shifty up to huh. no good there's another species here that does have little front legs <laughs> uh, they're funny aren't they Maximum snout length of 88, says Reptile Database. 88. With a movable eyelid. 88 watts. Millimetres? Mm, 
Presumably. Are they little? I don't think it's going to be a legless lizard that's 88 centimetres. No. That would that would cause riots. Shelter Pusics are that big, and they are one of the most unsettling animals on the face of the earth. And people riot over their existence, they don't do, they? They do, yes. It's a big problem. Um, so these little guys, 1937 described, missing for 49 years into 2009, from Queensland, Australia. Another very limited distribution, 40km squared. Wow. So quite quite restricted. I mean, that's that's relatively usual for a fossorial species. So, I mean, where's this guy going to be going? He's got no front legs. True. He can only push with his little back legs. True. True. So Australia does seem to be a hotbed for animals with fewer legs than you might expect because they've got the legless geckos. Yes. Yes, I guess so. I mean, it just, you know, it pays not to have legs in Australia, I well, guess. Well, I think the fact of the matter is leglessness is an advanced evolutionary state to which we're all headed. Yeah, probably. We'll be, flap- we'll be no. flapping around. We've got to pick things up. We've got to manipulate tools. <laughs> Soon you'll be able to do that with just your eyes. Now now you're making a good point. Or some mind-reading device. Mm. There you go. Legless lizards, they've got it set. They're living good lives. Well, this one's actually not living a great life. Um, oh. Because they're sort of considered in danger. Oh. And maybe they're being sort of threatened by overgrazing and sort of land use stuff. Maybe insecticides are killing off their prey. Maybe droughts harming them. Maybe invasive buffalo grass is hurting them. Maybe the feral animals are back. Maybe there's not feral hogs this time, but feral like dogs and cats and stuff mm. and foxes. I'm more than happy to just blame it on cats and move on. Well, it might be a combination of buffalo grass and cats hiding in the buffalo grass. Who knows? Who knows? Either way, they're there. They're still there. Um, Australian government website says that there's no like active plan for threat abatement or any sort of recovery plan or anything like that. But reading around, it seems like maybe these guys are covered by other conservation plans for other species in that area. Mm. Um, so they might be getting sort of picked up by proxy, even if there's not something explicitly targeting them. Which is good news. Good. I guess. Depending on how good the conservation effort is. So it's actually a type of skink. Yes, a slider. <laughs> a sliding skink. The retro slider. It's so weird it's called the retro slider. Sounds like mm. a dance move. From a place name. The retro slider. You can't use your arms, so. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. Well, should we go from one legless animal to another? Arguably better one? What do you... What, wait. Better better than the it's retro slider? It's not even it's legless. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's got two little legs, I have you to know. Honest, this animal probably has got some vestigial he legs, too. pick himself up and run like a basilisk. <laughs> well, this is a boa. That'd be a sight. <laughs> This is a boa, so it probably does have spurs at the very least. Uh, well, it's not going to have more It's not going to burrow through 40 kilometres of soil, is no. it? No, no, no. <laughs> it won't. Um, yeah, so this is not as quite as mysterious as the others. Um, it was described in 1950. There's been numerous specimens examined over the past 50 or so years, or 60-something years. But no live ones, because people kept on smashing them, which is an understanding temptation oh, when you see sake. a piece of wildlife. But um, yeah, anything that's live, you know, that's that's immediately where my mind goes. I mean, in it's alive must be smashed. In the defence of, um, I, I don't like seeing animals that aren't two dimensional. Yeah, I mean, this is Brazilian, and so the outskirts of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, you know, it's got a diamond pattern on it, so it kind of looks like it could be a viper. Uh, so I can, you know, uh, 
that might you can see why people want to smash it um not that that's cool but this is Cropan's boa Corallus Cropanii and yeah basically uh this snake which was shrouded in massive mystery because oh it's a nice looking snake right yeah sorry i just pulled it up and i see what you mean about the sort of viper mimicry going yeah. on it's got a sort of bushmastery feel it to does, it. Right? No, I t- I totally see the similarity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even the coloration is much more vipery than it is bowery. Mm. I okay. I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm not excusing people whacking snakes, but I can at least see where misconceptions are coming and from. Big scales on the head as well. It's got really nice mm. head scalation. Um, wow. So yeah, basically, because this snake hadn't been seen for so long, in October 2016, uh, a group of herpetologists, Bruno Rocha, Daniela Gennari, and Livia Correa, gave talks about this snake to communities and provided farmers with brochures with a photograph of it so locals could easily recognise it and be less inclined to just smash it to pieces as soon as they saw it. And yeah, they also, alongside these uh, educational sessions, taught people how to scoop a snake into a bucket and provided them with an email, phone number and WhatsApp contact. Very modern, very modern WhatsApp contact, which was information to use to get a hold of the scientists. And sure enough, it actually worked. And um, a benevolent farmer brought them this miraculous snake, which was a huge 5.5 foot long female of the species. And that is the snake in the photographs, which is alive. It's the only snake. If you Google Corallus crepani, you will see this very snake because I think it's the only one that's got photos of it in colour and it looks just chilling as far as I know. And um, yeah, they actually put a radio transmitter in her. So hopefully there'll be something forthcoming from that in time, provided that goes well. Hmm. Um, well, well, good luck. Yeah. I hope that works. It would be interesting. Um I mean... What what year was that done They in? put the transmitter in in 2016. Okay. Huh. I mean, there's a lot riding on that one snake, <laughs> you know. I, well, um, forget the snake and one transmitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, to rate those things fail at. Yeah, we'll give her a little bit of chance, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, certainly... For me, the, the, mo- the most exciting one because it's a bo- it's a boid, and um, the more species of boa in the world, the better. And the fact that it's corallus, beautiful, beautiful yeah, boas, it's really cool. So you know, uh, emerald tree boa, Amazon tree boa, relative, really nice, cool animal to have around. And um, yeah, if I'm ever in Brazil, I'd have a bash at going to see one. Although based on how hard they are to find, I would almost certainly fail. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just get lucky yeah. I mean you've got to be in it to true win it that, don't you? true that um, but yeah so that's a nice new redescribed boa it was gone but not properly gone because over the course of 50 years there is a paper where they talk about all the ones they've seen which are dead and there was like 6 or 7 had come in so they knew the snake was persisting it wasn't sort of presumed extinct it was just mysterious and hard to find yeah yeah awesome mm. beautiful snake beautiful wow Shall I finish this off then? Yeah, round us off. What have we got last? Was the tender yapper Andy's toad. <laughs> a toad. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, dude, look this one up. This is one of the more beautiful toads you're going to see at least this week, probably within the month. You haven't seen what I've seen toad-wise this week, just before you start well, bandying but... around how beautiful this toad well, is. Let me... you can have... What's the name it, of it again? Get ready to eat those words. Yeah, I'm ready. Dishing... Tanda Yapper and his toad. Tanda Yapper. 
Without any guidance, I'm spelling that in a very bizarre way. No, no, it hasn't even come up with any suggestions. <laughs> How do you spell it? T-A-N-D-A-Y-A-P-A. Tanda Yapa, Andy's Toad. Wow, that is a spectacular toad. <laughs> right? Wow. Unbelievably gorgeous. Like an aeroplane fuselage. Space. Okay, or an airplane fuselage, all right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a hard name to say. Yeah. So it's this dark, sort of purpley, blacky brown with these sort of white spiralling lines all over it. Like a, I feel like it's one of those those chocolates you get with sort of white icing on. Is that a, does that make sense? What chocolates are you talking about? I don't know. Some like fancy chocolate with... It on. sounds like someone who's never eaten chocolate trying to describe a fancy chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what pictures have you got up? I've got one. I, I know I'm looking at the same frog 100%. I can see the white lines and it's beautiful, but I'm not sure what chocolates you're talking about. Are you talking about those, uh, the Gylian shell ones? Oh, get, no, no. All right. Maybe, maybe it's better. You know, like pastries that you have icing sort of scattered across. Like lines of icing. I think this whole icing line of thought is tenuous. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey, it's got pattern well, on the what, underneath. What would you go with then? I, I mean, to be honest, I can't, I'm not saying I can do better. I just want to tear down what you're doing. Oh, oh, I see. I see how it is. <laughs> well, imagine, imagine a pastry, right? Like a cinnamon swirl, and it's got the icing dribbled over it in thin lines, as they do, as is traditional with cinnamon swirls. Transpose that pattern onto a frog but sort of make the patterning more concentric circles throw some sort of golden dust over it plop a couple of golden toad eyes in it yeah and you got yourself uh you got yourself a pretty clear picture of what this toad looks like it's <laughs> maybe it's really asymmetrical as well isn't it oh it's absolutely stunning absolutely stunning oh when they're adults they look rubbish these are all photos of babies when they're adults they just look like a cane toad with Big hands. Yeah, well, I'm not looking at those pictures. I'm looking at the beautiful babies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, when they're adults, they they're suck. Gorgeous. They're rubbish. They lose all that. They don't suck. They're like, they look like skinny cane toads. They look like alien eyes, alien toads. Yeah. They're great. They've got very webbed feet. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so these guys were lost in 1970, found again in 2018. Tiny, tiny range, only two kilometers squared, they reckon. Jeez. And just to end on a really, like, not positive note, um, their range is severely threatened by an open cast mine that's going to be set up by BHP Billiton. Uh, permissions have all gone through. Looks like it's going to happen in Ecuador. Oh, dear. But hopefully their discovery is going to counter that. I mean, I, I haven't got any up-to-date information, but it certainly wasn't looking good 2018 time. So... What are they mining? Gold and copper. Gold and copper. Yep. Well, that is a shame. Um, but, you know, I want a new gold watch, so <laughs> never mind, Toad. <laughs> Move Off aside. Trot over the precipice into oblivion. Uh, Back into obscurity. <laughs> yeah, see you in 80 years. No, uh, that is a shame. So what was the longest that any of these species had been unseen properly for? I think it was... Uh, the old inland taipan, wasn't it? Oxyuranus microlepidotus. I think it's got to be. The highest I had was 49 I had 93 years. on those. So, yeah. And I, oh, no. No, sorry. I had I had 60, 68. So, you had 86 for the 
Arakan Forest Turtle. Yeah. No, the the turtle was my An longest. 87 uh, for the Rainbow Toad. Almost all of yours beat all of mine. Because Yeah, 68 years was the highest one mm. I had. Very odd. But yeah, so congratulations to all of these species on... I wonder how they perceive it. I wonder whether they think humans being aware of them. I think they hate probably. it. I think they. I think they hate mm. it. I don't know. I suppose it depends on whether the conservation efforts outweigh the inevitable destruction of their homes and livelihoods, which they won't. But yeah, no, I shouldn't be so pessimistic on the thing. So yeah, no, nah, they'll all be all right. Probably. No, some some of them are genuinely doing a lot better now that they have been rediscovered. The Palawan forest turtle, hundred percent. Like, it went through a rough patch, but, like, the conservation efforts I was reading about there seemed like that really having a big thing. The the Jackson's Climbing Salamander existing in protected areas in that amphibian reserve, that's great. But it's there, it's documented, and, you know, can now actually actively be protected or, uh, as opposed to accidentally protected. Same with the Albaniada. Like, stuff is being brought up, that habitat is being protected. People are putting in good effort to do that. Yeah. And it's not being threatened by stuff outside of habitat loss, as long as you can keep a cap on people going there and taking them for selling. Mm-hmm. Should be fine. I think what's nice about this is, in virtually every case, the rediscovery and kind of um, bringing them out of obscurity was largely due to one or just a few individuals who really cared, who, who took the time to go yeah. and sort things out. And, you know, in many cases... Um, team up with local people who are also interested um so yeah it just goes to show like just a couple of plucky scientists and you know interested parties outside of science can actually contribute a lot to the well-being of these individual species which is a nice message and uh shouldn't be so pessimistic because yeah. we are in a much better place to look no, after these things now no, that we know they no, exist 100 percent yeah, 100%. Like, you're not going to protect something that you can't even work out what it needs. No. You're going to get real lucky if you can. I mean, that's no, no, no. That's no way to pursue conservation. Yeah. More data is always going to help. Yeah. There's still more to find, though. Have you looked at Global Wildlife Search for Lost Species page? The, like, top 25? No. So there's three species of herpetofauna I saw on there that are still to be found. The most recently lost, the Scarlet Harlequin Frog from Venezuela, last seen in the 1990s. Let's, um, Presumed critically endangered. Let's do a crowdfunder and then we can do, me and you can go and try and find it and we'll make a documentary of us bickering in the forest. <laughs> All right, well, you've got a, you've got a choice between three <laughs> and of them. Be... You can either do the Scarlet Harlequin Frog. <laughs> I'll be like skeletally ill. <laughs> and you'll be trying to tow me around virgin rainforest <laughs> I'll just be delirious it'll be a blast <laughs> <It'll> be... <laughs> you'll be seeing them in your sleep okay what's uh... visions of the scarlet harlequin I'll be up frog for scarlet harlequin frog what other ones are there um, we've got Zug's monitor okay I like the sound of that last seen in the 1980s in Indonesia okay not evaluated so goodness knows what I state feel like it's Indonesia in. f- would be slightly more approachable place to look for them and the forests of Venezuela I can't speak Spanish um well I can't speak Indonesian no but um, the only thing I do know with Indonesian Indonesian research currently is that research permits for foreigners are particularly tricky to get oh, a hold of we don't of. need permits we just go oh oh you do in Indonesia <laughs> I'm going to fly under their 
extremely religious totalitarian radar. <laughs> All right, good. You go with that. I'll go. I'll go. I'll head off to Madagascar for the search for. Uh, God, how do you say that name? That's a that's a hell of a one. Volta Cows Chameleon? Voltes Cows Chameleon, perhaps? Last seen, 1913. It's been lost for 105 years. Wow. Okay. What was it called again? You're making me say that name again. Well, because again. I couldn't make head nor tail you're, you're of when you said it the me? first time. <laughs> well, that was part of the plan. If you can't hear it, you can't say I'm the wrong. The key to reading stuff is just to sort of sound it out as you go. <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't... I don't know how to pronounce TZ, I'm afraid. Those are not letters. TZK? What? Okay, I forgive you. There are, there are four consonants next to each What's other. What's the fourth right? one? Well, K. The f- All right. It's V-O-E-L-T-Z-K-O-W. V... There's a point where my brain just, just <laughs> malfunctions when I see V-O- that. It, it, what it's... the hell? V-O-E-L-T-Z-K-O-W. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Voetzel Kiwi's chameleon. Is that the scientific name? Voetz Voel Voeltskoia. Versifer Voet Versifer Voeltskoi. It's a tricky one, huh? Wow. Three observations on iNaturalist. <laughs> when were they? <laughs> really? No, they could be museum stuff. Be. Maybe. I mean, it was described, so there seem to be somebody saw one. Very once. modern photographs of it. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, people have been spotting them. Rediscovered. People spotting them in November 2015. Oh my gosh! Well, then we we'll skip that one. We'll go for Zug's monitor. Martin Mandak. He seems to have already rediscovered it, unless he's unless he's having a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Might be that they're mislabeled, or oh, I don't want to have to say a, that word again. Well, who else? Um, cow. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It seems that like someone's put them on iNaturalist, but that's it. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Um, I'm out of stuff to talk about. Those are all the species. I apologise for all mispronunciations of names. Um, some beautiful species. Yeah, some really cool animals. Um, have we got bit of a bit of a mess of an episode? Yeah, but I think it was a cool idea though. You know, um, I enjoyed it. Mm, it was it was good fun. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice having a a change of format. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, Yannicko Kelk and Scott Iper for assisting with, well, really just sort of formulating the idea of the episode and then giving us all the stuff we needed to talk about. So yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. And yeah, cool. I I haven't got any other business this week. Have you? Um, no, no, um, I don't. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review. Um, haven't said that for a while. Um. We sell t-shirts and stuff at patreon.com. No, no, no. At redbubble.com slash app highlights. And we have a Patreon if you'd like to donate and support us and even have a say in what we talk about. Um, hmm. But yeah, I think herphighlights at gmail.com is our email. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can send us a message and uh, we will endeavor to reply. And if we have got anything wrong or you have insider info on any of these species or better yet, if you were somehow involved in any of this stuff, and you're listening, please get in touch and we'd love to hear your side of the story and inevitably correct the devastating mistakes that we've made in relaying the, the inevitable recent history of these numerous animals. and devastating mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, thanks very much for listening. Hmm, thank you for listening. 
Mm, no, but you could get a little backpack for them. Yeah. Like a like a Palawan tortoise, pa- Palawan turtle papoose. I reckon the best thing would be um, one of those ones where you have the baby in front of you so the baby can see what's going on. And then... You, yeah, papoose. Is that a papoose, is it? Okay. and then That's a papoose. <laughs> now that we have that cleared up, it's a papoose. Uh, the, <laughs> the turtle itself could have its little arms and legs poking out and then the head. And obviously for the turtle, it'd be optional. If it wants to go to sleep, it can go back inside the shell. But, you know, mm. it would be able to see what you were doing. And it would be quite nice. Really, yeah, papoose is an optimal turtle transportation. And if you have a sandwich with vegetarian goodness in it, if any of the hummus sort of fell from your mouth, maybe the turtle could perform a, <laughs> a role in tidying up. No, it's, it's a little it's a little known fact that the Palawan forest turtles hate hummus. No, hate nothing it. hates hummus. No, they, they like they like hummus. Ah, oh, the hummus layer. 